What did we just watch, Amy? We just watched Stop Making Sense, the 1984 concert film, The Talking Heads. But is it just Talking Heads? It's just Talking Heads. You can't put a the in front of it? There is no the. They actually have an album called The Name of This Band is Talking Heads. So, it's a concert film of Talking Heads. Yeah. And it's been recently, like just this week, re-released in 4K by A24 on the big screen. On the big screen. So that's exciting for a lot of people. People who are fans of Talking Heads. Talking I don't know head if it's a fan fans. of people that aren't fans of Talking Heads. I don't know if that's a big deal. It feels like everyone in the room, minus maybe you, was a Talking Heads fan. Yeah, we had a really interesting crowd in the theater. Because they were, they were into the documentary. Yeah. I mean, they'd seen it before. They were super excited about getting to see it on the big screen. They were dancing along, mm-hmm. singing along. So it was quite the experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So just full disclosure, uh, this is not my first impressions of the film. No, Kevin even owns this. Film. I own this on Blu-ray from the last time it was remastered. Um, which I guess spoilers for the podcast. Uh, it doesn't look significantly better than the Blu-ray that I have. Like the Blu-ray, I have looks great and. They put a lot of work into making it look really good. So even on the big screen, I thought, yeah, I was like, yeah, that looks real good. I, a lot like the copy I have at home. <laughs> well, at some point, there's only so much more Fidelity. restoration yeah. you can do. Yeah, it's not like they're taking a 200 or 150-year-old film and making it viewable again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but it looks good. I like it. This is my first time seeing it, so these yeah. are my first impressions. And also, um, it's not that I'm not a Talking Heads fan. Like, I don't dislike sure. their music. They just exist. Yeah. You're, and, you are not a fan of theirs in the yeah. sense that you don't, like, listen to their music regularly or, like, seek it out. Yeah. Or it's follow kind of, them. Kind of like the Beatles. Like, I yeah. know the Beatles were a great band and made great music. <laughs> I don't dislike the Beatles. I just never seek them out to listen to. What a to. weird comparison. <laughs> just to the Beatles to the Talking Heads. I call them the Talking Heads. Oh no, I'm fired. Uh, I'm not a fan anymore. I'm just giving you my thought process yeah, on that's fair. Uh, artists that I don't dislike but also don't engage with. Fair. But I don't engage with them because I dislike them. I don't not engage with them <laughs> I yeah. dislike them. Yeah. It's not an active choice to dislike or to avoid. It's just, it's just yeah, yeah, talking heads are out there. I mean, everyone's heard at least a couple talking head songs. Yes. Like, you've yes. definitely heard Burning Down the House or Psycho Killer or Once in a Lifetime, which is one of their most popular songs amongst fans. I don't think it has quite the reach that like Psycho Killer or Burning Down the House does. But I could be wrong. I don't know. So, uh, I unabashedly love this film, and that's fine. What did you think? Well, I said on the way home, I'm the objective observer. Yeah. I don't come in with any... No preconceptions. Well, the preconception I came in with was, one, you really like this film. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. two, 
that it's one of the greatest concert films ever made. Yeah, because I say that a lot. <laughs> You're not the only one who's I'm not the it. only one who says that. <laughs> it's not just you. Yes. Um, and It is very well reviewed by many people. Yes. Hence, it's still around. Yeah, and getting restored 40 years later. Yeah. Um, So my question through the whole film was, Mm -hmm. what makes a great concert film? Like, if you have a really great concert Mm -hmm. and you film it, does that make it a great concert film? I'm not done yet. Hold your I haven't answered. Okay, keep going. Keep going. I love Uh, it. Or... Is a great concert film one that convinces you that this is a great concert? Ooh, okay. Like, uh, what? Like, if you if it's already great, just stick a camera on stage and film it all. Does that make it a great concert film? Uh, the answer is no. I know that's like <laughs> oversimplified. The answer is no. It takes more skill than that. But um. What, because I really got the impression, like, this was a great concert. This must have been a really cool tour that they Mm -hmm. were doing. Mm -hmm. Um, Iconic. Mm -hmm. And, but you bring in the skills of someone like Jonathan Demme. What is he bringing to the table Mm -hmm. to make it the classic Mm -hmm. film that it is? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think a great concert can have a mediocre film and a mediocre concert can have a pretty good concert film. I think you have to start from a great concert to end with a great concert film. I think you, you have to do both. Um, but the fact of the matter that, um, David Byrne, who is the frontman of talking heads also then like, two or three years ago, uh, put on a concert called American Utopia that also got turned into a concert film by a great director that is Spike Lee, tells me that he knows that. He knows it's not enough just to film a concert, but also it has to start off as a really good live experience. And then you can take it and transform it for a filmic audience. Um, did that answer your question at all, or was I just waffling? Kind of. Okay. Do you want to know why I think this is a great concert film? Yeah. Okay. Because that's a different question than what you asked. Uh, my question that I asked could be discussed... By uh, a lot of people. In an article-length yeah. piece <laughs> of thought... <laughs> Uh, you could really spend a lot of time picking out what makes mm-hmm. a great concert film. Mm-hmm. Well, we've, we've, you and I at least, I know, have thought about, like, adapting live performance to the screen. What does that require? How do you do it? You can't just stick a camera in front of it and hope for the best. Yeah. Um, that makes it worse rather that than makes better. It- very clear that you are not there. Yes. When you just stick a camera. Yeah. Um, and it, and for what it's worth, the people performing aren't playing it necessarily to that camera. They're playing it to their live audience. 
And while there are definitely moments in Stop Making Sense where various members of the band directly address the camera, uh, which I appreciate as a thing, Mm -hmm. they are still very much playing for their live audience. But the director and the, the, the camera cinematographer folks know that and film to highlight, and this is my answer of like why it's a great concert film, highlight the performances and the unique things about the performances that are happening live in a way that is only accessible via a concert film. Uh, being able to move in and around the band, being able to, when necessary, do longer takes. Like, I think one of my favorite things in this film, I have a lot of favorite things in this film, but one of my longer favorite things in this film is uh, Once in a Lifetime, which is almost entirely a single static shot of David Byrne with a harsh Trichurzo light from one Mm -hmm. side. Mm -hmm. Um, But that works for one song. It doesn't work for 30 songs. And so being able to give each song its own feel that matches and complements the performance of that song. Uh, Because one of the things that I think is really good about this concert is while it is the band on stage playing their songs, each song is unique in its presentation in addition to the music. Um, I've gone and seen, you know, They Might Be Giants a few times live. And I like seeing They Might Be Giants live, but they're very much a band who comes on stage, plays all of the songs that they want to play, and then leaves. And that's fine. That's good. I enjoy that experience. It's pretty it's around people who also enjoy that experience. But I put that in contrast to someone like uh, David Byrne, or Weird Al for that matter, who has a long history of making each of his per- songs a performance. He gets into character. He, in one of his songs, he has a big suit in honor of Dave Byrne. (laughs) When he sings his Talking Heads pastiche, he puts on a big suit and does that song. And he changes costume and each thing is a unique performance to that particular piece of music. Why I think, because you can do that with any, any performance, um, I think you can look to, we briefly talked about um, Madonna's Truth or Dare, you know, which is absolutely that kind of a concert where each song is a unique thing. She's changing costumes constantly. Uh, Beyonce historically does that. Taylor Swift, I think, is taking that to its logical conclusion with the Eras Tour, which I have not seen, but is coming to theaters um, mm. later this year, and I would like to see it, um, where she's literally like breaking the concert up into segments based on each of her last or her total 10 albums and like literally taking you through the eras of her career so far um, and making each one fit a theme and things like that to my point of why I think Talking Heads doing that works really well in a live environment and also on stage is because They do it with almost nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really enjoyed (laughs) that. Especially having watched a Taylor Swift concert Uh film recently, Mm -hmm. like, which is, you know, 
costumes and dancers and, and lights and LED boards and projections and I mean this did have projections but yeah but this performance does tons visually tons with spectacle with basically a bare stage mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which are I mean I like those kinds of performances I know you do <laughs> I do too. Um, and it does so in a way that tells you it's doing that. Because you come, I mean, it starts with a blank empty stage, you see some credits, and then David Byrne walks on stage in his white gray suit and sneakers, and he puts down a boombox and he's got a guitar, and he does the first song entirely by himself on stage. And he isn't just standing on stage. He's using the space. He's moving around the space. He's playing in a way that makes you very aware of the space. And then, member by member, piece by piece, song by song, they fill up that space with their music. And everything that is on the stage, almost everything that is on the stage, is in service to that music. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not on top of the music it is not beside the music it is in service of and springing forth from the music mm-hmm. up to and including the weird dance moves that David Byrne does and when he runs around the set during life during wartime and just mm-hmm. like literally does laps around the set to which which enhances the experience and enhances that particular song and matches what that song is doing. So I think Jonathan Demme's filming of that concert, technically three concerts over multiple nights, but that's just how you film a concert film because sometimes people screw up and you got to have a second take. Um, takes us, the film audience, on that journey in a way that resonates with what the live audience is going through. Mm-hmm. But not trying to replicate the live audience experience. Absolutely. Which is, I think, a pitfall of recording live performance. Oh, yeah. Performance. Um, I think a great example of that, um, I think it is a fascinating thing that this movie exists, but the Beastie Boys, sort of the and the Beastie Boys, now I don't know. <laughs> the rap group Beastie Boys, with or without a definite article, have a concert film called Awesome, I Shot That. And it was shot entirely by their fans in the audience. They passed out 15 or 20 or 30, I don't remember the exact number, handheld mini DV cameras. At the start of the concert, they gave them to people all throughout the crowd and said, film whatever you want. They then took all of that footage from a billion different angles and edited it into a concert film with the goal of making it feel like you're at the concert. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you're seeing things from the literal perspective of the people in the audience. It's really neat. Not a great concert film. (laughs) Neat concept. Is it going to become a cult classic? No. And I like the Beastie Boys. I like their music. But it's not a great way to experience the Beastie Boys. (laughs) 
because you're seeing things from like 30 different positions in the audience on rather low quality mini DV cameras. <laughs> um, so I think I walked away from Stop Making Sense the first time watching it feeling like I had not necessarily experienced the concert that they were putting on during the Stop Making Sense tour or whatever, but feeling like I had an equivalent experience that fit the movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and the narrative of the story being told on stage through their music, which is not a very like literal or narrative story, but is of course a story. You're going mm -hmm. to have a, a text <laughs> with meaning and things encased in and around it. Yeah. Yeah, I liked the energy mm -hmm. of it. I thought it was very entertaining with very little spectacle when you compare it to Beyonce yeah. or Taylor Swift. Yeah, which is not a dig at Beyonce or Taylor Swift no. in their concerts. And those are very high energy too. <laughs> yeah, and, absolutely. But you, all of the spectacle supports that high energy. And yes. Those, Whereas this high energy was really becoming from the only the performers mm -hmm. in in um, Stop Making Sense. Yeah. Have I made you watch American Utopia? I can't remember. Uh, no, you haven't made me watch it. Okay. But I have been around when you've watched parts of it. Yeah. So. <laughs> I haven't seen it quite as much as I've seen Stop Making Sense, but probably only because it's been around for less. And you can't yeah. buy it on Blu-ray in the U.S., which is... How are you watching it? Then? It's on HBO. Uh, it's an HBO original production in the U.S. Uh, you can buy a Region B Blu-ray of it from England, but uh, I don't currently have a Region B Blu-ray player. So uh, so I haven't watched it as much as Stop Making Sense. But Stop Making uh, American Utopia takes some of those ideas and takes them even further because in American Utopia, there is literally nothing on stage but the musician and their instrument. Mm -hmm. There is not, like, even the platforms and things like that. And it is very much about moving through that space with no wires and no, nothing holding them back. Just the people playing and performing. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, there's a through line in those two concert performances, in my opinion. Uh, here's the thing I'm curious if you noticed... Um, Something that is, again, unusual but in line. Um, all of the light sources used exclusively white light. I did notice the... I, the, I noticed the lights a lot. Yeah. I noticed the lights a lot. That's by design. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking, oh, this would be a cool thing to show theater students on lighting. Like, yeah. Like... I don't mean this in a bad way, but, like, do-it-yourself lighting for interesting things. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't need the latest, mm -hmm. highest-level equipment <laughs> to make cool lighting effects. Yes, absolutely. Um, I This is something that's not clear in the film, but I think is really interesting. So, uh, David Byrne has a book called How Music Works, and he talks about, among other things, the history of talking heads in the book. And he says one of the things that they really pushed for, particularly coming out of the early uh, punk scene and performing at places like CBGB, is one of their, like, 
rules or standards when they were performing on stage was you turn on the lights, we perform, we end and we turn off the lights. And we're just using whatever standard lights are in the room. There should be no, no additional thing. And specifically always using white light. Just turn on the light, perform, because they want the music to be forward. And they, over time, started playing with that and changing with that. And so one of their goals of this performance was doing as much as they possibly could with only white light. Mm -hmm. Like only basic white, you know, turn it on or turn it off sort of thing. Um, and playing with the space of that and really showing the wild things you can do with that. Yeah, it made really interesting silhouettes, shadows, just really interesting visuals overall that were different mm -hmm. from song to song. Yeah, yeah, each one felt unique to that song. Um, but also of a piece with everything else that was happening in the concert. Yeah. I thought uh, the process of seeing the bare stage and then gradually adding on musicians and then kind of also throughout you'd see the crew come on and mm -hmm. take guitars, um, trade guitars out or at the one point one of them had a light uh -huh. were shining on the musicians <laughs> was just walking back and forth across the stage uh -huh. with the, the light. Um, I thought it was very overused, but I thought it was a little Brechtian. <laughs> wrong it's not not brechtian <laughs> i think brechtian gets oversimplified and overused sure. but that's what it you're... was reminding you that you are seeing a stage performance yeah yeah it, it was showing you how it works mm -hmm. and showing you how it works doesn't remove the magic no no sometimes it enhances the magic yeah yeah Can... makes it seem real mm -hmm. like real energy attainable mm -hmm. um authentic oh gosh not authentic that, <laughs> i know we not hate that, that. <laughs> i just don't like the word authentic i understand and that's why i said it <laughs> I, I like that i mean they were working so hard um it was so physical mm-hmm and you could just see them sweating. Mm -hmm. And I just think that makes them seem so human and real. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. In cool, <laughs> very cool, cool ways. It makes them seem very cool, too. Yeah. Yeah. It was so physical for not having, like, backup dancers. Mm -hmm. Or being a dance pop show. Mm -hmm. It's very... It's a rock show. They come out and they play their rock music. If you can call it that. I don't know. New Wave. Is it New? Yeah, New, new wave. wave. is sort of what they're called. But New Wave is also um, shorthand for a weird band that started in the 80s. <laughs> I think they started in the 70s. They did. They started in the 70s. But yeah, New Wave is a big broad swath of like post-punk, early electronica is technically New Wave, according to some people. Sparks is New Wave. They Might Be Giants is New Wave. I like a lot of New Wave bands because they're weird. They are. Um, what, did, 
What did you think of the actual music? I'm curious. Um, I think I knew a little bit more. I had heard some of the songs a little bit more. Um, I mean, I was entertained the whole way. I wish I understood the words. Mm -hmm. Because I bet the lyrics are a little odd. Mm -hmm. Um, They are. (laughs) To go with the rest of the performance being a little odd. A little off kilter. Yeah. Um, But I can't. I can't understand what David Byrne says. Like a lot of the time, <laughs> historically, this has been true for me yeah, with David that's Byrne. That's fair. That's fair. So he's got I, a unique. He's not. He's not pushing enunciation. Um, so seeing a closed caption show might have been. I mean, better. I don't know the lyrics to a lot of these songs. <laughs> like I know the big lines, but yeah, it's uh, it's sometimes it's about vibes, not the words themselves. But yeah, that's interesting. Um, fun Talking Heads fact while this was not true for all of their albums for some of their albums um, including a lot of the songs that ended up in Stop Making Sense their recording process for the initial pass of everything um, they were playing with technology in particular um, multi-tracking and so what they would do is they would have one of the performers go into the studio and improvise a groove for two to three minutes. And then they would play that for one of the other performers to then improvise a groove on top of that. And they would build and layer their songs in that way. Um, and then usually last, David Byrne would come in and then make up not the words he was using necessarily, but the vocal aspect of that, using nonsense words, and then would write lyrics to fit whatever he had come up with in that moment. That's really interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Which, like, you hear that and you go, oh yeah, that sounds like a lot of their songs. That's why a lot of their songs don't have, like, verse, chorus, verse, verse, chorus structures. That's true. Um, they, They are... I don't want to say shapeless, but they're not driven by their shape necessarily. Mm-hmm. You sort of get weird things out of that. Um, and I think, well, again, not all of their songs were composed that way. That lines up with how their songs sound. Um, so it's like, you know, you come up with some words and you put them in afterwards and uh, hope it fits the song. <laughs> So yeah, I don't always know what David Byrne's singing about either. And that's okay. It's uh, it's about the whole experience. Mm-hmm. The, the voice is but one instrument. What did you think of uh, the Tom Tom Club? I feel like I've heard that song before. Um, I mean, they're they're pretty famous too. I I'd never heard of the Tom Tom. Yeah. Club. Apparently there's no the in Tom Tom Club either. Dang it. Um, I had never more. heard of Tom Tom Club. Yeah. Tom Tom Club is basically Tina Weymouth and her husband Chris mm-hmm. Franz. Um, some people are like, it's just talking heads without David Byrne, which is not true. But um, that performance only exists so David Byrne can go put on the big suit. <laughs> Which I always think about when we get to that moment in here. It's like, this was not 
it's not a bad song. It's a very different vibe than the rest of the show because it's a different band on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's always funny to me that like, hey, oh, here's Tom Tom Club to perform Genius of Love, their hit song, uh, because we can't have David Byrne on stage for a few minutes. Yeah, I mean, I, think I thought of the politics of it, of yeah. having... Um, the band didn't end on good terms. Yes. So, like, having this this other band outside of Talking Heads, Tom Tom Club, and David Byrne having kind of solo... Mm-hmm. Um, stuff going on too and mm-hmm. what, are, what are the politics of that and um how does it speak to they they break up after this tour because <laughs> yeah. um, the first song with david byrne alone with boombox mm-hmm. um i was kind of thinking like oh it's like david byrne saying i don't need the rest of the band <laughs> I don't need them. I Look can do at this me. all by myself. I just need a boombox and a guitar. Now, the music wasn't actually coming out of the boombox, but... Yeah. Um. Uh, fun fact, They Might Be Giants' earliest shows did, in fact, use a reel-to-reel tape player for their backing tracks live on stage. Um, you would have John on the guitar and John on the accordion, and everything else would be on a reel-to-reel tape recorder. And it made their fans so mad when they got a real band. <laughs> Led to people like standing outside clubs saying, don't go in there, they're using a band. Usually it's the opposite. Yeah, usually it's the opposite. But uh, yeah, no, it, it is interesting. And of course, like, the arc of the movie, such as it is, is a lot about, like, the construction of the band, very literally. You know, you have one, and then two, and then more, and then more. And they tell the story. And then at the end, you get the audience, which you've never really quite seen before the last two songs, mm-hmm. which I always think is interesting as well. Um, like, you, you get glimpses of them and stuff, but they're never the focus until they are. And I always think of that. It's like, and then the audience is the last member of, of the band. band. Well, Wikipedia explained to me why there weren't more shots of the audience, but I don't know if I should repeat it because it's from Wikipedia. I mean, repeat it and I'll tell you if it aligns with what I've heard. Uh, They couldn't um, get shots of the audience without lighting them in a specific way, and lighting them was um, throwing the band off. (laughs) Uh, That makes sense to me. I I don't know that I've ever heard that before. That's interesting. I think just filmically it looks a lot cooler to not see them until the end as part of the narrative they're telling. But that could easily be something that, you know, Jonathan Demi put together as a narrative based on the filming structures of that. These are the, the constrictions yeah. we have. How do we tell that story? Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, you do see in Take Me to the River, the lights on the audience come up. And then for that song and the next song is when you actually get, like, shots of the audience. And that one lady putting her head in a circle. Yeah. She's my favorite audience member. Well, you are not alone I'm in not. the theater. I'm not. Everyone cheered when she showed up, which uh, was amazing. <laughs> we were all like, yeah, that lady. <laughs> uh, which I will say was, like, I was not as uh, vocal and 
clearly excited as some of the other members of our audience was. Um, but it was fun to experience this in a room full of people who enjoy this movie as much as I do, if yeah. not more. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. And I appreciate, too, the film doesn't, the, the concert doesn't start at a 10. Yeah. You got the first song, it's just David Burns, and then the slow adding in mm-hmm. members of, of the band. And it, so it has some place to go. Yeah. The, the concert can't has to start some, at 10. <laughs> And then have Ed just stay, stay there. Yeah. I feel like uh, the Taylor Swift concert that we watched was 10. It took a little break when she did an acoustic song in the middle of the audience. And then, and then we were back 10. at 10. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, in defense of Taylor Swift, I think that's what her audience expects to a certain yeah, extent. Yeah, They're here to, you know, scream their guts out at their favorite pop star, which is it, great. And it wasn't bad. It wasn't... I'm not complaining yeah. about being at 10 the whole time. But it's time. also not, um, her concert film is not going to be in the you know top 10 greatest concert films of all time. Right. Because even if it is a great live experience, it doesn't necessarily translate to film. Although I'm fascinated to see what she does with the Eras film. Because apparently she has a lot of creative control over it as well. Because Taylor Swift does what she wants now. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Of course, sometimes that means that uh, the artists get rid of everyone who says no to them. <laughs> and really, sometimes they need to be told, they need to be told no. no. I need to and work then, within And then their later work is terrible because no one told them no. Yeah. Don't follow every little idea you have. You need some editing. You need some editing. <laughs> Take one accessory off. It'll be fine. Any other thoughts? I... Don't think so. Okay. Are you a talking heads convert now? I don't know about convert. I, I uh, enjoyed the film. Well, that's good. Um, I would like to now go watch the documentary now episode. Yeah. Um, uh, that parodies it. Yeah. I think it's called like Final Transmission. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's about a band's final concert. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's always much more fun to watch documentary now when, when you've, you've seen, seen the, the source material. Yeah. That it. is true. Yeah. They're all good. They're all, They're good. all good. But it means more. When you've seen them. When you've seen the documentary it's based on. Yeah. We're out of time, not time, but out of talking content. But I will say, uh, Juan Likes Rice and Chicken is the best version of Jiro Dreams of Sushi and all of the other films that particular group or people Mm -hmm. who made like Chef's Table afterwards Mm -hmm. made. Mm -hmm. No. All I need is Juan Likes Rice and Chicken. Yep. (laughs) It's perfect. It's perfect. And it's 30 minutes long. (laughs) Perfect. I didn't realize, again, I've seen this film so long, so many times, uh, I didn't realize how relatively short it was, this movie, at only yeah, like 88, 90 minutes. 90 minutes, yeah. Um, which is fine. Movies are great at 90 minutes. Apparently, it doesn't have a couple of songs from the concert. Yeah, and that's always been true. Um, yeah. I, I think they might be like extras on the Blu-ray, you can see a couple of them. Um, but I think that's a filmic choice. You sometimes can't, you don't do all of the concert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. (laughs) 
cool. Anyway, uh, I think it's worth seeing on the big screen. Uh, that, that was my question to you. How was it on the big screen? Um, it was good. I think the screen wasn't big enough. <laughs> yeah, that's the downside of going to the local indie. Yeah. I mean, I love supporting my local indie theater. I think that's great. Um, I mean, the screen is big. It's not overwhelmingly big. It's slightly bigger than a big screen TV at home. Yeah. I mean, there are home theaters people have with bigger screens and projectors. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. So, we um, will have to go to AMC or Real or something to see yeah. it on the... Because it was released big. on IMAX, too. Oh, was it? So... Yeah, we don't have any IMAX theaters near us, but... Yeah. It would be overwhelming in IMAX. <laughs> Which is not a bad thing. Will you want to tell them about our Patreon? Oh, yeah. I can do that. We have a Patreon where you can support us on a per-episode basis, which is great. Because it fits our release schedule. we When we release a podcast, you give us a buck or two. And if we release too many podcasts in a month, you can put a cap on it and say, no, thank you. That's all I need. Um, but it does directly support us, and we appreciate that. Supporting us also, they're just telling your friends about us, though. That's great, also. If you don't have a couple of spare bucks to toss our way. If you do back our Patreon, you get two perks with almost every episode. You get a completely unedited version of the episode with bonus audio at the beginning and end, often where we talk to our cat, so you can get little updates about how our cat is currently annoying us. And many times you'll get a list of movies we did not watch, because I will often give Amy a list of five or so movies to pick from, and then she will pick one from that list, uh, which deals with our respective choice paralysis systems because i can't pick one movie mm -hmm. and amy can't pick from a million movies so that works out well for us the patreon itself is at patreon.com slash five degrees you can also find our website at five degrees between dot us and we're on all your favorite podcatchers because we work on rss that's how podcasts work don't tell spotify that that's not what podcasts are um I think that's all the cool things. We appreciate every single one of our listeners. Yes, especially you, Stefan. You. I wonder if Stefan's listening. I don't know anybody named Stefan. Uh, that's all the things. Yeah, I'm just looking it up, and there, Stop Making Sense is playing at our Cinemark. Okay. Which does not have an IMAX. I don't theater. know that I need to see it again. Quite this soon. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, if you're ever like, there's a movie that I want to see, but I want to see it on a bigger screen. Yeah. We can. Then... We, we have other theaters in the area. It's also at the Fine Arts Theater. That makes sense. Which is less fine. fun than the Grail movie yeah. house that we went to go see yeah. at. Support your local independent theaters. We have two. Which is cool. Yeah. Say goodnight, Amy. Goodnight, Amy.